Well, if you have your Bibles, let's see if we can get back in the routine of doing this again. 2 Chronicles chapter 34. You may have to use your index or your table of contents. No judgment for me. Um, if you're jumping in with us, I am actually a pastor here. I do preach a lot here. You just haven't seen it in a while. Um, we're going to try to knock off the rust this morning. Um, we're in a series called The Big Story. And what we're seeking out to do, we've been endeavoring over the last couple of years to do, is actually to preach from every single book of the Bible to show the person of Christ and the truth of the gospel and how Jesus is not a New Testament Savior. He has always been expected. He has always been pictured. He has always been promised. And now he has been realized. And so this year we're actually going to finish the Old Testament. So 2 Chronicles chapter 34. You'll remember we were in the Minor Prophets. And I'll, I'll make that connection here to show you where we are today. We're just going to read the first seven verses together for now. It says, Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. Remember, there's the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Northern kingdom is Ephraim or Israel. Southern kingdom is Judah. He is the king of the southern kingdom of Judah. Israel has already been taken off by Assyria into captivity. Verse 2. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in the ways of David his father. And he did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet a boy, he began to seek the God of David his father. And in his twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the Asherim and the carved and the metal images. And they chopped down the altars of the bells in his presence, and he cut down the incense altars that stood above them, and he broke in pieces the asherim and the carved and the metal images. And he made dust of them and scattered it over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. He also burned the bones of the priests on their altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem and in the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, and Simeon, as far as Naphtali and their ruins all around. He broke down the altars and beat the Asherim and the images into powder and cut down all the incense altars throughout all the land of Israel. Then he returned to Jerusalem. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, today for our congregation is a bit of a strange day. Lord, as John goes this morning and preaches in view of a call at a sister church, I just want to take a second and just pray for him. And God, I pray that this morning at Golden Springs Baptist Church that you would set the pulpit on fire. I pray that you would put fire in his bones, you'd bring a spirit of unity in his church, that our sister church would flourish, that our brother in Christ would flourish. I'm so deeply thankful for his time with us, his time with me. God, if I'm honest, I don't like that you've chosen to move him at this time. But Lord, what I do remember is that men don't build your church. And your church is not dependent upon men. And that every single pastor, me included, is an interim pastor. Here for a time and gone tomorrow. And so Father, I pray... I pray that you would continue to sustain us as you always have. Continue to show yourself faithful as you always have. And that Lord John, John would go with the imprint of your son and the support of his church family here at Iron City, cheering him every step of the way. Lord, we pray now 
for the man that you're going to bring to us. Lord, you don't call one away without preparing another to be received. And so, Lord, I pray for his church family today that you would prepare him, them for his departure. I pray that you would begin stirring in his heart a, a holy discontent. I pray that you would birth in him a vision for family ministries here at Iron City, that you would keep his way pure and holy, that he would be close with his wife and close with his children, that his heart would be right with you, that he would be a man of honor and integrity, someone to whom our families can look for wisdom and example. And we are thankful for examples like Josiah's in the Bible. And I pray today, Lord, as we look at Josiah, that, Lord, you would break us out of cycles of sinfulness, break us out of cycles of justification for the sins in our lives, that we would know true freedom in Christ. In Jesus' name we now pray. Amen. You may be seated. You know, when you're little, everyone just kind of assumes that their family is normal, right? And part of growing up is slowly, gradually being exposed to this family and to that culture and watching this and knowing that. And you begin to realize that maybe, just maybe, there are some abnormalities in your family. We had one of these not that long ago in our family. So you all know that on Fridays I'm, I'm typically off and one of the kids is, is with me, who's not, whoever's not in the school. And so Sarah, while she was with me, our thing became going to uh, Sam's and eating pizza, right? And it's, we go there because it's cheap and she loves it. So it's kind of like a double win, right? She's a cheap date. And... I have this strange thing that I tend to do. It's just, y'all just need to know. I've told y'all before, everybody that comes in here, I tell y'all, I'm the lead basket case. This is just going to confirm it. So I have this thing that I do that whenever I get the pizza, especially from Sam's, it just seems greasy to me. And so I take napkins and I dab the top of the pizza with the napkins, right? And try to get up and soak up as much of the grease as I can. And I would take mine and I would do mine and I would take Sarah's and I would do Sarah's. And this is just what she knew. And so time passes by, and she grows up, you know, a little bit more, and she's in school, and she's got friends, and we get invited to a birthday party, and we go to the birthday party, and at the birthday party, they're serving pizza. And they put that pizza in front of Sarah's, and there, in front of God, her friends, and everybody, she takes napkins, and she's patting, and I can just see everybody just stopping, and what in the world is this little girl doing? And you know, really, it's just a beginning of a long journey of her realizing how strange her old man really is, right? And as funny as that is, there are other instances in which whatever feels normal to us in our family, those normals are actually pretty harmful, right? That, that if you grew up in a family in which your dad abused your mom, that may be your normal, but it's, it's not right, or maybe you grew up in a home in which the abuse of alcohol or, or the usage of drugs was present. And that's normal to you. It's all that you've known. Maybe you're in a family where everyone yells at each other constantly and backbites one another and undercuts each other and, and does harm to one another. Maybe you're in a family in which the whole of the relationship with God is to get in the truck, to go to the church because you got to go, and you get in the truck and you grab the whole way to church, you sit, you endure the service, and you grab the whole way home from church, right? 
But it's normal to you because it's your family. That whatever these normals are, they begin to form in us a series of values, a, a worldview. They forge in us what we think we are to expect. How should our husband speak to us? Probably the same way our dad spoke to our mom. How is it that our, our, we are to relate to our wife? Probably the same way our dad related to our mom. How is it that we are to relate to sex and to work and to money and to, and to alcohol and to all of the things that are out there in this world? It's probably whatever was normal for us growing up. And what becomes really easy is for us to fall back into those well-worn patterns so that a cycle begins to perpetuate through us in our lives. Maybe it didn't start with us. Maybe it was our great-grandparents and our grandparents and then our dad and then us. That's why I've always been so fascinated with Josiah. Obviously, he's the namesake for my son. Josiah was the king. He would have fit in right at the end of Zephaniah's prophecy and right at the beginning of Jeremiah's prophecy. And so he's a contemporary of Zephaniah, Nahum, Jeremiah. So you can see how it fits so well to talk about him here right between uh, the minor prophets and the major prophets. But he was born into a normal in which it was completely normal to worship gods other than the Lord God. He was born into a normal in which idolatry was pervasive and lawlessness was the law. And you were able to go and to justify any aberrant behavior that you wanted to be able to justify. So what was normal, what was normal in the life of Josiah, what was normal in the family that he was born into was to do evil in the eyes of of the Lord. But the Bible says that Josiah breaks the cycle. Josiah breaks the cycle. Josiah does what no one would have expected him to do. Josiah becomes someone different than anyone would have expected him to become. And so for all of us who are in patterns of sin that we want to break, for all of us who are perpetuating perhaps legacies of unhealth and abnormalities through ourselves and through our parenting. Josiah has something to say to us about how we can break these cycles. First, I want you to see that you must decide you will be different. You must decide you will be different. I never forget a few years, several years ago, we had a young couple that was visiting our church. And they had visited several times, and I finally had an opportunity to be able to talk to them out in the lobby. And quickly, the conversation went heavy. And they began to tell me about things that had been a part of their family, and some difficulties that they had encountered, and some hardships that they had dealt with growing up, and some things they were dealing with with their family, even in the here and now. And I'll never forget them stopping in unison and saying this, Cody, we have to be cycle breakers. We have to be cycle breakers. That they had decided that enough was enough. They had made the decision that they were fed up with the way things had been. They were fed up with the normal that they had been taught. And they were determined that for their precious little ones, there was going to be a different normal. And there was going to be a new normal. Can I just tell you, if you want to break the cycle, if you want to break the cycle that was handed down to you, you want to break the cycle that maybe you find yourself in today, You've got to be fed up with the way things are. You've got to be fed up with the old normal and begin a pursuit of a new normal. This is exactly what Josiah does. This is exactly what Josiah does. That if we're going to define a new normal for our lives, we must first take responsibility. 
take responsibility. It says in verse 1 that Josiah was 8 years old when he began to reign. There's no excuses that I don't have enough life experience. Here is an 8-year-old boy. Began to reign and he reigned 31 years and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. So you have Manasseh, okay? So, so Josiah would have been a case study in how quickly a generation can lose the gospel. He would be a case study in it. So if you go back to his great-grandfather, Hezekiah, Hezekiah was a good king. And Hezekiah brought reforms into the land of Judah and revival to the land of Judah and brought everyone back so that they would begin to worship in the house of the Lord and destroyed all of the high places and all of the idol, idolatry, idolatrous worship. But his son, Manasseh, who reigned more than 50 years, reversed the trend and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. In fact, the chronicler tells us that he did more evil than any other king in the eyes of the Lord in all of Judah. This is Josiah's granddad. Well, the apple didn't fall far from the tree from Manasseh. Josiah's dad, Amon, Amon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And so his granddad did more evil than anyone. His dad did so much evil in the eyes of the Lord that the people recognized it, even though it was a depraved generation. And they rose up and struck him dead. So that at the mere age of eight years old, this boy becomes king. Now, if you're hearing that story, if you're telling that story, if you're talking about the kids in your classroom, if you're talking about the neighbors down the street from you, what do you expect to happen for Josiah? Here he is, uh, now an orphaned, eight-year-old boy who's been handed over a depraved generation with a house of God filled with idols. You expect for it to say that he did evil in the eyes of the Lord and he walked in the ways of his father. But it gives us an exact opposite picture. And it says that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Now we ought to stop for a second and recognize that within two generations a revival had turned to complete desolation and forsakenness. And brothers and sisters, we ought to make sure that we are stewarding the generation that we are responsible for now. That this might not happen for us. That right now our church is, vi- is filled with vitality and life. But within a generation it can be filled with dead, bu- dead bones and cobwebs. We have a responsibility to make sure that we are passing down the right normal. But what did Josiah do? Josiah took responsibility for himself. See, Josiah could have justified his behavior in any way that he wanted to. He could have said, you know what, I'm just like my granddad, I'm just like my dad, just like my daddy went before me, I'm going to go after him. And everybody would have said that story is playing exactly on target. The plot line is clear. And this is what we do. We seek to do whatever it is that our hearts want to do, and then figure out a way to justify it so that everybody else can understand Maybe, maybe it's because my dad was a drunk, that's why I'm a drunk. Maybe it's because my, my dad had such a temper, that's why I have such a temper. Maybe it's because my mom was such a shopaholic, that's why I'm so indulgent. Maybe it's because of a genetic predisposition, I don't know. This is just who I am, this is just who I am, this is just who we are, this is just what my last name means. What is that? That is a justification for us to keep doing the wrong things and to try to make ourselves feel okay about doing them. See, the question that was facing Josiah all those years ago is the same one confronting you and I today. Who will you be? Who will you be? Not who was your dad, 
Yes, yes, that has defining moments and that has defining characteristics and that creates obstacles to overcome. But that's not the question. Not who was your dad or who was your dad not, but who will you be? Not who was your granddad. Who will you be? Not what was your mom, but who will you be? Will you take responsibility for your life? If you're going to break the cycle, you've got to decide when and for all. No more excuses. No more excuses. No more justifications. Every single one of us has a way to justify the evil that we want to do. Every single one of us. Will we? That's the question. See, Josiah didn't just take responsibility. He took action. He took action. This is just in verse 2. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He walked, this is intentional, in the ways of David, his father David, who had lived about 300 years earlier, before the time of Josiah. That what Josiah determined is that I'm going to live my life and I'm going to do things in a different way than what I have seen. You see what cycles try to do? Is cycles try to tell you who you are and what you're going to do. Not only do they tell you what you're going to do, what you have to do, what you must do. Because this is just the overflow of who you are. This is just who you have to be. Your dad was a drunk, you have to be a drunk. Your, your mom was, was adulterous, you have to be adulterous. Your, your family was mean, you have to be mean. Y'all fought all the time, you have to fight all the time. Your family's always been divorced, you have to be divorced. And once you come to the recognition, it's not enough to just say that it's a problem. I meet so many people that say, I know I shouldn't, I know it's bad, I know it's not right, I know it's wrong, it's just all I've known, it's just where I am. That's not taking responsibility. Taking responsibility always, always, always leads to taking action. That what we see in Josiah's life is not just the confession that things must be different. Not just the decision that I wish it was other than it was. But actionable steps that begin to trace out in his life. Look at what it says. It says that in the eighth year of his reign. Okay, so let's stop for a second. So at this point, he's 16 years old. He's 16 years old. So he's 16 years old. And it says that, he, uh, that while he was yet a boy, he began to seek the God of his father, David. That, that it probably had happened in an accumulative way. It, it probably was an ongoing, growing awareness of things. But there was a spiritual marker in Josiah's life when he was 16 years old in which he just became aware that this is not how it should be and that there ought to be a better way. That there has to be a better way. And so he brings himself under the tutelage of another father. Manasseh, his granddad, wasn't a good teacher. Amon, his father, was not a good teacher. He went all the way back to the best one that he could find, a man that he had never met seeking a spiritual father because what he wanted to find was a better way to live his life than the life he was currently handed down. And so he begins to go after at the age of 16. And for four years he commits himself to the study of the way of David and to the God of David and to knowing how David led and administrated his people and how David was a spiritual leader and a political leader. And then it carries forward and it says, And in the 
12th year, so now he's 20 years old, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the Asherim and the carved and the metal images. And so now he's learned and he begins to implement and apply what he's learned and he brings reform and, and renovation to the temple. And he says, not just enough for me to realize it's a problem, it's not just enough for me to learn a new way, I must implement a new system of living. I must implement to begin a new normal for my people and for myself and for my heritage. Do you see that? And, and, and by the way, can we just stop for just a second and say what a lie it is that the world tells you that you can be a child until you're 30 years old? What a lie it is that the world tells you that you can accomplish no real no real good or anything of real consequence at 16 years old, at 20 years old, that at 20 years old your life ought to revolve around video games and vaping. What, what a lie that is. Here is a 16-year-old. Here is a 20-year-old. Here is a man who says, I will be a man of God. I have not seen it. I have not inherited. But this, this is who I will become. Don't buy the lies, y'all. Don't waste your life. Don't waste your life chasing after some imaginary party that's going to give you the, the experience of a life. Chase after God. Chase after the Lord if you want to break the cycles in your family. The old ways don't work. You see, what he does is establish a pattern of what it looks like when you break a cycle. First, you become aware of it. You become aware of, of, the, of the spiritual in the, the spiritual. Uh, desolation. Then be aware of the spiritual desolation. Then, then you begin to seek out a spiritual parent. For him, he sought out David to learn a better way, to learn a new way. You have to seek out a parent. So often, so often we think, I wish someone would mentor me. I wish someone would mentor me. I wish someone would mentor me. Y'all, you need to go and seek that out yourself. David sought it out. I mean, uh, Josiah sought it out and he went. And he, he went back 300 years. And then you begin to apply the things that your spiritual parent is teaching you in the ways of the, of the Lord. And you begin to change. And look, you're not going to be perfect. And that gets to the landing point. You have to persevere and not quit. You know how long it took Josiah to clean out the temple? Six years. Six years. It took him six years to get all the idols out and all the altars out of the way and to take down all of the high places. And he spends the rest of his 31-year reign trying to implement the reform and bring revival to his land. Look, if you're trying to break a cycle, can I just say it's going to be hard? It's going to be the most gut-wrenching work of your life because you don't know anything different. You're going to have to retrain your brain on what to think and your muscles on what to do and your mind on how to operate and your heart on what to love. You've got to retrain all of these things. But what Josiah shows us, church, is it can be done. It can be done. You don't have to live in your daddy's way. And you don't have to live in your granddaddy's way. And as, as a matter of fact, maybe you, had, you were inherited a great spiritual, spiritual heritage, but you've begun a cycle of your own. You don't have to stay on the path that you've begun. Confess it to the Lord. Seek out a spiritual parent. Begin to apply what you've learned and don't quit. Press on. Will you decide today? Will you decide today? Will you make the decision that you are going to live in a way and establish a new normal for your family and for yourself that's going to be a, a generational heritage for your family? I want to drill down a little bit deeper on this finding of a new way. I want us to drill down a little bit deeper because I think this is really significant. Because you can't just decide you'll be different. You have to discover a better direction. 
You have to discover a better age. For, for most of us, most of us grew up in homes and with parents where, you know, we want to keep some of what they taught us, but not everything that they taught us, right? Like, we, we know that there's some good and there's some bad, and we, we want to kind of adopt this part of it, but we want to kind of abandon this part of it. Well, for other people, they grew up in a family like Josiah's. Josiah says, I want to get rid of the whole kit and caboodle. Like, I want to throw out the whole kitchen sink because everything that I've inherited is poison. Everything that I've inherited is forsakenness. And some of you, I, I know enough of you to know that for some of you, this is where you are. And so you can relate to where Josiah is. So Josiah has come to a realization that things are not right. And so Josiah wants to, he wants to chart a new path for his people, his reformation, but he really doesn't know how to do that. And so he's like he's feeling in the dark, trying to find his way down the wall so he doesn't fall down the chasm, right? So here's Josiah, and he's feeling his way through the dark. And all of a sudden, he is interrupted by a bright light. Look at what it says in 34 verse 15. Then Hilkiah, they're in the process of, of renovating the temple, okay? They've gotten most of the altar, all the idols out. They've smashed them into dust, and now they're renovating the temple. And so here's the, he sent them, the, the, the priests, and the, to go in to pay for the builders. And while they're paying for the builders, this is what happened. Then Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan the, secretary, Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan. Can you imagine the scene? Can you imagine what that was like? Here they are. They have, been, they have spent six years trying to rid the temple of all of the brokenness that has come to fill it. They, they've been trying to take out of the temple of God from the Holy of Holies, the enemies of God. Think about that. They had polluted the Holy of Holies with all of the enemies of God. So one by one, they've taken them out, and they've taken them out, and they've taken them out, and they've taken out all of the altars. And the temple is, by this point, filled with all the dust of, of the temple, of the of the idols that have been crushed into powder and they're sending in carpenters so they can begin to clean it up and go through a restoration process and renew the temple and there there in the holy of holies where the idols were where the presence of god is to be manifest among his people they see in the corner something shining through the dust and they go and None of them have seen it in their lifetime. None of their eyes had ever beheld it before. It's, it's words that are foreign to them. And they, they pick it up and it's a scroll and they begin to dust it off. And on the top, there lies the books of Moses, the law of God. Can you imagine the moments? See, a found way comes from a found map. And if this morning you're like Josiah and you feel like you're feeling your way through the dark and you don't know which way to go, you know you want your family to be different, you know you want to be different, you know that there is a better way and you feel like you're trying to hope, can I just give you some good news? Y'all, there's a map. There's a map. The God of the universe has revealed himself. He's told us who we are. He's told us who he is. He's told us how we can get to him. He's told us what's went wrong, why there's all this brokenness. He's explained how he's come to redeem us, how we can flourish and thrive. According, There's a map, man. There's a map. And here is Josiah. And all of a sudden, he has the map. You know, I still remember what it was like for me the first time that the gospel went from being a story that I had heard 
to the only hope that I had. And what I remember about that is hearing the truth about God, hearing the word of God in such a way that it was like lightning struck my heart. I wonder if you can relate to that. This is Josiah's experience. He's been trying to figure out what went wrong. He's been trying to figure out how to make it right. He's been trying to figure out how to put himself back on the, the pathway of, that David had experienced when he was a man after God's own heart. And here, here is the, the law. And it's been found dusty and tattered there in the bottom of the temple. Listen to his experience. Verse 18, then Shaphan the secretary told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read from it before the king. Most people think that he's reading Deuteronomy here, by the way. And when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah, Ahikam, Cam, sorry, the son of Shaphan, Abdon, the son of Micah, Shaphan, the secretary, and Asaiah, the king's servant, saying, Go, inquire of the Lord for me, for those who are left in Israel and in Judah, concerning the words of the book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out on us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do all that is according, that is written in, in this book. You see what he says? The word of God strikes his heart. And it is, as his heart breaks, he takes his garments and he tears them to show what's happening inside of him. That he's been humbled in the face of God and he's being made repentant by the word of God. He says, this is what's happened. This is what's happened. The word of God was lost by our fathers. Our fathers did not keep. That's why there is faithlessness in the land. That's why there is godlessness in the land. That's why there is hopelessness in the land. That's why there's anxiety in the land. That's why there's famine in the land. That's why there's curses in the land. That's why our temple is tattered. That's why our temple is filled with dust. That's why our lives are crumbling. We have lost the book. We have lost the law. Our forefathers started us in a cycle of unfaithfulness that we have inherited. See, it's such an innocuous statement for him to say that Shaphan read it before the king and that the king heard the words. But you see, in the Bible, to hear something doesn't just mean that the sound waves enter into your eardrums and vibrate them a little bit. To hear something means that you, you don't just hear with your eardrums, you hear it with your heart. And it punctures your heart and it penetrates your heart and it changes your heart. And you hear it to such a degree that it begins to transform your life. So hearing is synonymous in the Bible with obeying. With obeying. And so in, in Josiah, as he hears the word of the Lord and wanting to be right with God and wanting to be a man of God and wanting to bring renewal and reform among his people, he doesn't just hear the word. Immediately he wants to obey the Lord. He wants to repent in the face of God and to show God that he is serious to go after him. So as innocuous as it seems, reading and hearing, brothers and sisters, that is the difference between life and death. That is the difference between breaking a cycle and, per, and perpetuating the cycle. The reason that our temples today are tattered, the reason today that our lives are crumbling, is because our Bibles are dusty. Because our Bibles are buried. When was the last time your children heard you read them the word of God? When was the last time that you heard you read the word of God? 
When was the last time that you sat beneath its counsel and led it to the tearing of your heart so much so that you would have just assumed, tear the sleeves right off your shirt? When was the last time the word of God humbled you in its presence? Maybe like Josiah, we would look at our family and we would say, that's what happened. That's why daddy beat mama. That's why marriages in our family didn't work out. That's why children in our family seem to run amok. That's why it feels like my life is falling apart. That's why we have forgotten the word of God. We have lost the word of God. See, they had lost it because it was buried in idols. And that's the same for us. If I was to ask you, if I were to ask you today, why it is you haven't sat beneath the counsel of God's word, you know what it might be? Too busy going to work. Had a show to watch, had ball fields I had to get to, had things I had to do, had hobbies I had to, I had side hustles I had to, I had to make sure I followed through, I had a retirement that I had to build, I had, a, I, uh, I had to move from my starter home to my real house, I, I had to do all of the things and build all of the life, and there just wasn't time. Idols, 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 and brothers and sisters, if we want a broken cycle, a broken cycle requires broken idols, that we have to find these things that are taking us away from the Lord, those things that are keeping us out of the counsel of God's word, and crush them into fine powder. To take seriously. And if we want to go a better way, we have to live a different life. It's so simple, but it's so profound. If you want your kids to go a different way, a better way, you have to live a different life. If you want to go a better way than your dad went and your granddad went, you have to live a different life. And there's a map. And there's a map. Maybe you'd say, but it's so hard for me to understand. I go back to spiritual parents, spiritual father, spiritual mother. You need people in your life that will hold you accountable to reading it, that will help you understand it, that will help you to apply it in your life. This week, what are you going to make of your Bible? When you go home from church, what's going to happen to it? Is it going to bounce around in the floorboard of your car? Is it going to get put on your nightstand there and collect dust until next Sunday? Is it going to be taken and waved over and wielded in a spiritually abusive way? I'm not talking about that either. Or is it going to be devoured as the bread of life that will not return void? Is it going to be used as an establishment of your ways to make your path straight? That you might flourish as a mom, as a dad, as a husband, as a wife, as a grandparent? Is it going to be used to refresh your spirit and bring you rest in Christ and hope in the gospel amidst all the griefs and anxieties of this world? What is going to become of your Bible this week? Now, maybe you would push back against me this morning. Some of you are Bible scholars, and I know that. Maybe you, would, you know the story of Josiah very well, and you would push back against me, and you'd say this. I know, Cody, that the cycle started right back up after him. I know that Josiah was the last great king of Judah before they were hauled off into Babylon. I know, I know that what, when he goes to inquire of the Lord what she says. Let's read it together. He goes to the prophetess Huldah. This is what she says. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will bring disaster upon this place and upon its inhabitants. Did you expect that when he repented? I bet you didn't. All the curses that are written in the book that was read before the king of Judah. 
because they have forsaken me and have made offerings to other gods that they might provoke me to anger and with all the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath will be poured out on this place and will not be quenched. But to the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall you say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, regarding the words that you have heard, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God when you heard the words against this place and its inhabitants, and you have humbled yourself before me and have torn your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Behold, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace, and your eyes shall not see all the disaster that I will bring upon this place and its inhabitants. And they brought back the word to the king. So he gets two promises, two interpretation, interpretations of what's been written. He says, first of all, the Lord says, the people aren't repenting with you. Do you notice that? If you think back to 1 Kings 18 when we were there and Elijah preaches the gospel and he, he, he says, today you must choose and the missile of fire goes and encompasses the altar. All of Israel gets on their face. They say, the Lord is God. The Lord is God. But not here. Not here. Here, they're going to go through the motions and they're going to do it mechanically, but we have no indications that anyone else repented other than Josiah himself. And so the Lord says they, have, they are going to reap what they have sown. That judgment is going to come, and the Babylonians are going to come, but you, you are going to die in peace. I am going to spare you, your eyes, from beholding all of the travesty that will happen. But I think the reason that we can come to Josiah and see that Josiah has something to teach us about how cycles are broken is that Josiah is the ultimate reminder that we must depend upon a greater deliverer. That we are not enough. That first of all, Josiah couldn't. The whole story of Josiah is as much about what he couldn't do as it was about what he could do. Josiah could reform the law. And Josiah could renovate the temple. And Josiah could reform all of the worship of Israel. And Josiah could reform the priesthood. And we saw that he did. Josiah could perform all of these reforms. But you know what Josiah couldn't do? He couldn't reform and renovate the hearts of his people. He couldn't make them love God. He couldn't turn them in repentance toward God. He couldn't make his children go the way of God. He couldn't do it. He wanted to be the mediator for his people before God, but he was an inadequate, an insufficient mediator. And because Josiah couldn't, we can be certain that you can't. You can't. You alone cannot break the cycles. And you alone cannot start new cycles. And you alone cannot decide who your children are going to become. And you alone can't decide who your church is going to become. And you alone can't decide what the next generation is going to come, going to do. Josiah couldn't, and you can't. But y'all, Jesus did. Jesus did. You see, we are right here on the edge of Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 36, in which God is going to promise that a new covenant is going to be established. A new covenant that is not going to just be about the reform of the temple and the renovation of the place, but the reform of the heart, that he's going to make the temple your very heart and write upon your heart the law of the Lord so that it may never be lost and buried again. That he's going to take that heart of stone from you and place within you a heart of flesh that is tender to the Lord and hot for the Lord and hungry for the Lord. That Jesus did and Jesus does and Jesus will. 
You are inadequate for the job. But brothers and sisters, the invitation is not for you to pick yourself up by your bootstraps and to make yourself miserable and to be unsure of how... The goal here this morning is for you to come to the end of yourself and to throw yourselves down at the feet of Jesus. Say, Jesus, make me a new creation. Jesus, chart for me a new way. Jesus, make me a new person with a new nature and a new heart that's after you. Jesus, I will follow after you, not after my dad, not after my granddad, not after my friends. I will follow after the way that you have charted for me. And brothers and sisters, that began a movement 2,000 years ago that has perpetuated cycles that has led for us right now, today, in 2023, in Anison, Alabama, to opening up the Bible. And I'm certain that if it has worked throughout the history of the church, if we will make disciples in our church and in our community and in our family and of our spouse and of our kids, we can send the cycle forward yet. This morning, the invitation, the invitation is that you would come to Christ Come to Christ. Maybe it's for the first time. Maybe it's for the millionth time. But you would come to Christ and say, Jesus, Jesus, you start the cycle. Jesus, you create what's normal for me and for my house. Will you come? Let me pray for us. Thank you for watching or listening to one of our sermons. We would love to have the opportunity to connect with you one-on-one. We are not a perfect church, but we are a joyful church, and we want to help you increase your joy in Christ. We would love for you to come and worship with us one day soon. You'll be able to find information about our worship services, about who we are, what we believe, what we do, what we're hoping to accomplish on our website at ironcity.org. And we would invite you to go and to check out all the information there. We look forward to seeing you soon.